Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have a guest with us today, Chris Deerdorf. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Henry. Oh, it's our pleasure. So Chris is the CEO and founder of Market Compass, and Market Compass focuses on helping small businesses grow through optimizing their product marketing. And when we say product marketing, we're talking about marketing that's specifically focused on a product. We're going to get into that today in this episode, as opposed to corporate uh, marketing or branding. So it's product marketing specifically that he tends to focus on and help small businesses with. And his company specifically helps those businesses in the areas of marketing strategy, planning, positioning and messaging, which we're also going to chat about and go to market execution. Uh, Chris developed his marketing expertise while working, working, excuse me, for various large companies. He has an MBA in marketing and entrepreneurship from the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And he currently lives between Boulder and Denver, more or less is where Louis, Louis, Louisville, is that right? Louisville? Louisville. Louisville. Okay, great. It's a suburb of Denver or Boulder, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, <laughs> so in this episode, we're going to dive into Chris's entrepreneurial journey. He's going to share with us his journey from school to going into the corporate world and then transitioning into becoming his own boss. We're going to dive into product marketing, get his perspective, advice, and tips for small business owners on product marketing, which is a great focus because often that's where we need to focus on and just general tips and advice for small business owners based on his experiences. So once again, Chris Deerdorf, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So we were chatting before we started recording that you uh, attended uh, uh, CU Boulder, which is where my partner, David begins, both of his sons, his youngest is still finishing up there at Leeds. And that was a great experience for you. You were sharing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, fantastic experience in that, you know, I got to go through undergrad and, and actually was a, a business finance major. And it wasn't until my senior year where I started taking some marketing classes. I was like, oh, you know, what? I, I think I really like this marketing stuff instead. Interesting. But by that time, it was too late to change majors. And so um, I was fortunate enough to be able to go back and get my MBA and and kind of change gears and, and become a marketer. Yeah. So did you grow up in Colorado? I did. I did. Yes. I'm one of the uh, few natives in the state. Uh, I grew uh, in uh, Aurora, just east of Denver. Fantastic. Yeah. So as I mentioned also in the pre-recording, I have my business partner, David Beginners, in Colorado Springs, and I own a couple businesses there. So we get up that way quite often. So, nice. All right. So let's talk about that journey. You, uh, As you mentioned, you went into marketing later in your senior year, what did you think you were going to go on to do when you first started your career there at, uh, at CU? Well, you know, as I mentioned, you know, when I was an undergrad, I honestly, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I kind of fell into the business school and majoring in finance because I felt like I was good at math and whatnot. But 
you know, like I said, I, I, I took a couple marketing classes my senior year of college, and I just found, you know, just the, the strategy and also the creativity that goes in the marketing to be really interesting and particularly how it, you know, it can kind of play into human psychology. And so that, for me, really kind of spawned an interest and a, and a passion for marketing that uh, thankfully a couple of years later I was able to, to pursue. And you had told me that you, you took two years off and then came back and did your MBA. And by that time, it seemed like you were more focused on an entrepreneurial route. Is that fair? Well, so, so it's really interesting. I've, you know, I, I, I feel like I've, I've really always possessed the entrepreneur spirit going back to college and, you know, really due to a combination of coming out of college and also the MBA program I went to really at times when the economy went south. So particularly when I came out of the MBA program in 09. So the combination of that and then also just, uh, you know, really, I, I think for better or worse, being influenced by my caring but overly cautious parents, I chose a path in the, the corporate world. You know, don't get me wrong. It was it was a fantastic experience for me, you know, getting to work for companies like GE and Covidian, Medtronic, you know, some of the top corporations in the world. You know, I learned so much, but I ultimately I knew that the, the path of entrepreneurship uh, was where I wanted to be. Yeah, so you definitely had that influence from your parents of the, the career, the job was the quote-unquote safe way to go, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's nothing against my parents, but, you know, as, as parents do, they, they look out for your well-being. And so for them, they want to make sure, you know, you have, you know, a roof over your head and a steady paycheck to, to pay for that roof over your head as well as, you know, health care insurance and you know, I think you know, coming out of college, you're, you're, you're pretty wide-eyed and you're really not sure what to expect or what to do. And so, you know, my parents, as many parents do, say, you know, go get that, that safe, secure job. And in a lot of cases, that's, that's going to be with a big corporation. And, and there's, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong taking that path, but it's certainly not, it's not the more, what I'll say, risky path of entrepreneurship. So when you were in the corporate world, what was it then that started kind of crystallizing for you that told you, I, I, need, to, I need to become my own boss? What was it? Was there something that happened or was it just like you said, something that was there from, the, for, from early on? But what made it crystallize and realize for you, I have to go do my own thing? I think I felt like in, in some ways I was kind of treading water. Like, you know, I, I felt like there was times where I, I really – you know, was was a rock star in the corporate environment and, and really worked really hard and busted my butt to grow the company and make an impact. And, you know, ultimately I felt like, yeah, sure, maybe it, it moved the needle a little bit, but not as much as I had hoped or what I had expected. And, and, and so for me, it was just a recognition of, you know, I felt like I had just so much, just so much horsepower as, as an individual worker that it was just being overshadowed by the larger, you know, corporate machine that I was within. Yeah. And so for me, it was a realization that almost that I, I felt like if I, if I really wanted my impact to be felt, not just within the business world, but I think with, within, you know, the larger world, you know, society we live in probably wasn't going to happen within the walls of a, a corporation. Yeah. yeah. You were feeling stifled and limited and someone else dictating what your potential was. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know one of my 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 favorite books, and I know you're going to ask later uh, about you know book recommendations, but one of my my favorite business books is called the the E Myth, 
And I think the subtitle is, you know, why most small businesses fail and what to do about it. And there's, there's this great quote in the book that goes, you can make an impact and engage the world as an entrepreneur uh, in a way that you never could as an employee. And for me, that just really hit home. And I, I think that really kind of sums up why, why I decided to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. When did you first read that book? Uh, I read that in December of, I guess it was 2014. And that, that stood out, especially that particular quote. I, I have read the book. It's, it's obviously one of my favorites as well. And it's a yeah. common one that gets mentioned by a lot of folks as they were making that transition. There's so many takeaways from that book. It's to me, oh. it's, to me, it's required reading for any entrepreneur. Oh, it's so, it so is, it so is. And yeah, I mean, if not, if, if a college student, I don't care if you're on the entrepreneurship track or not, if there's one business book I, I recommend any college student, any, any, you know, MBA candidate read, it's, it's the E-Myth. It's just, it's so good. All right. So take us then to the point where you begin to make that transition into starting your own business. And, and what was that first business? Is that the one you're doing now? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, it was really, I guess about eight, eight and a half years into, you know, my professional career. You know, I had, I had worked with, I think three or four companies by that point, you know, doing a mix of, of product marketing and product management. And, you know, like I said, had, had some fantastic experiences and, and really in almost every scenario I came into basically inherited a product line or a product that was either declining or underperforming. And then basically once I got it, you know, within a year's time, you know, I got either the products or the product portfolios growing at a double digit rate. So I felt like I had a, you know, a track record of, of pretty high sustained success you know, I felt like I was a, a really high achieving product marketer. But again, like I said, I just felt like I wasn't able to make the impact that I wanted to. And so it was basically a little over two years ago from, from today where I just couldn't ignore the, the tug. I couldn't ignore the calling of entrepreneurship. And what kind of, I guess, coincidentally happened is I don't know how, how familiar you are with, you know, Boulder or Denver, but they've kind of gradually become many startup hubs, particularly for, for technology companies as well as for what's being called digital health companies. Uh, and, and basically that's, that's another saying for healthcare companies that specialize in technology. And what I, I began to observe within these communities was, you know, a lot of great product-focused engineering companies that were really almost ignoring the discipline and the practice of marketing. And I was really surprised by that. And, and so just out of curiosity, I, I wanted to go to the data and see if the, the data supported that. And so, you know, I just did kind of a quick Google search on why, why startups fail or, or top reasons startups fail. And there was a, a report done, I think a year, year and a half ago by a company called CB Insights. And the report was actually published in Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. And it had all the top reasons why startups fail. And within the top 10, seven of the, the top 10 reasons startups fail were related to marketing. Now that could be a variety of poor market need, pricing issues, ignoring the customer, or simply just bad marketing execution. But for me, what it was, was validation that here we had all these, these startups and, and these growing companies 
in the Denver Boulder area that really weren't focusing on marketing almost at their own peril. And so it was a realization in terms of here was a problem I was seeing. And as a, a marketing professional, I thought, man, this is, this is a problem I think I can, I can solve. I think and I, I can address. And so what that led to is, is me deciding to, to start my own marketing organization. But I really wanted it to be both a combination of, you know, my background and expertise and also really kind of capturing the, the market needs as well as kind of the, the trends within, you know, the, the, the business environment that, that was around me. And so with that in mind, I started a product marketing firm for startups and small businesses in technology and digital health. And that led to the creation of Market Compass. Fantastic. So very interesting. And so I want to go back to this as you're doing this research and you're finding, as you say, that these startups were not executing on marketing. It's surprising. Is it, is it that they weren't doing the product marketing well or were they, uh, like you said, that, that's a broad topic when, they, when we say they're not executing on marketing because it could be right. they, they've picked the wrong target market. They're speaking to a different audience. Yep. A lot of times what happens with startups is they get so enamored with the whole excitement of their idea that they forget the basics of marketing. So is that, tell me a little bit more about that, your findings there. Is it, was it a specifically executing on product marketing that they were mm -hmm. really falling on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the, the interesting thing about product marketing is it, it's really a foundational discipline of marketing. And, and so, you know, so often friends or family, when I tell them I do marketing, they, they think automatically of a Pepsi commercial at the Super Bowl or some some fancy watch ad in a magazine. But that that's really not marketing at its core. And, and really what, what marketing is, is kind of at its core, it, it's really, you know, creating a compelling reason for why your customers should buy your product or solution. And with that in mind, it, it product marketing really entails a lot of functional areas. Starting first and foremost with, you know, what's the value proposition of your, your product or service? And then from there defining, okay, how's how's your product or service positioned and, and how are you gonna message it? How are you gonna price it? all the way to the day-to-day -day blocking and tacking, tackling of marketing execution from, you know, it could be anything from creating sales presentations, sales sheets, data sheets, creating videos, infographics, blog posts. All of that is product marketing. And that's, that's really kind of the core of, of any company's marketing efforts because if you can't effectively market a product or a product portfolio, how in the world do you expect to effectively market your company or your brand? And so that's really a message I'm trying to get out to, you know, the larger startup community and, and business communities is that product marketing is not this kind of abstract optional, you know, side discipline. It's foundational. So, so really that's, that's a big driver for why, you know, I'm focused where I am. Okay, and so what you're finding and what you found and where you've identified a niche here is that small businesses, startups kind of lump it all together and confuse branding and brand marketing and corporate vision marketing with the fundamentals of product marketing. Exactly, exactly. And product marketing, it, you know, of those, those areas I mentioned why startups fail, product marketing touches all of those from, you know, poor, poor assessment of a market need 
basically that means you're not doing the market research or the appropriate feasibility research to you know to really assess and um, put a valuation to the opportunity. That's that's a part of marketing, a part of product marketing. Pricing, that's a part of product marketing. Marketing execution, product launch, that's part of marketing and part of product marketing. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the, the point I'm trying to make is that product marketing is a, a very encompassing discipline that really is kind of the backbone of, of any major marketing operation. So what have you found so far, obviously in the, in the years that you've been doing it for smaller businesses, does everything translate? Are there key things that translate from a large corporate environment and doing product marketing there to helping your smaller business clients now? Yeah. You know, what I'd say is, is yes and no. So I think the concepts apply. The, the applications are different. And what I mean by that, no, no great company has succeeded without an effective marketing plan. And so typically in the corporate world, you hear the word marketing plan thrown around. This means anywhere from you know, a, a 15 to 30, 50 page PowerPoint deck with a lot of great information. But honestly, it's, it's so complex, it's so detailed that a lot of times it's not easy to implement. And so really I kind of took that idea and I said, okay, what would be like the, the absolute minimum amount of content that a startup or small business could build a marketing plan around? And that's where I came up with one of my, my main package offerings of the two-page marketing plan. And it's kind of amazing how much content and information you can fit onto two pages. And, you know, we, with the two-page marketing plan, we cover everything from, you know, what's the objective of your, you know, your marketing what are the, the key values you want your marketing to reflect? What are strategies, tactics? And it's, it's really a tool that can help any startup or small business, you know, either jumpstart or, or really optimize their, op, their marketing operations from three months, six months to 12 months. So that's, you know, that's one particular example where I kind of took a concept from the corporate world, but really modify the application to be a better fit for startups and small businesses. Right. Yeah, that's a great example. So, and you, I think you call that the high impact marketing plan that I get that right. Yep. Two page high impact marketing plan. Okay. So is that, is that, so if I have multiple product lines, for example, is this at the product level is what we're talking about, or is it at a higher level than that? So I would say it's, it's at the, the product marketing level. Again, as I define it, you know, product marketing is really kind of foundational and kind of the core of your marketing operations. You know, other people might just describe it as a pure marketing plan, and that's fine. I mean, more or less, it's the same thing. Okay, and this is this is where maybe I'm getting confused because yeah. I'm trying to understand if it's specific. It's a plan. If it's a plan specific to a particular product or set of related products, a a, a line of products, let's say, or if it is also encompassing of the overall strategy for obviously how I'm going to go to market with it. But in other words, I might have multiple product lines in my business. Do I have yeah. individual high impact plans that then roll up to a higher level brand yes, message, you if you will? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yes, you do. Yeah. So 
with my target audience, which which is primarily startups and small businesses, in most cases we're we're only talking about you know one specific product. One product, or, exactly. Okay, yeah. I get that because usually when you're launching, especially or you should anyway, you probably have that finite focus, and so yep. it's it's more encompassing of the representative, the entire message of the of the startup primarily, because you, you have it. that one product that you're launching. Right. You got it. Okay. Got it. So as we continue to translate this for small businesses, you have. And when you engage with someone to do this high impact, give me some of the ideas of where you start. Because what I'm getting at is for, for small business owners in particular, what becomes such a roadblock on this entire topic of marketing is it's overwhelming. Everybody has a different idea or perspective. And so people get paralyzed and do nothing, right? Or right. they go with a much broader, like you have, you've observed, much more broader marketing message and they don't do the product marketing piece. So give me a couple ideas on where you start with a small business owner on developing this. Right. So, so I'll tell you what I see a lot and, and what I would really encourage small businesses not to do is a lot of times small businesses and, and startups, they, they immediately think tactically about their marketing. So they say, Oh, let's just build a website or let's, let's create this cool looking video or, you know, let's, let's do social media, but they don't really know, the why behind what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they're really just trying this shotgun approach to marketing, yeah. which is, is such just a, you know, a, a waste of, of time, energy and, and money. And so what I'd say that the, the first place to start is by putting together a marketing plan. And, uh, you know, as you've heard, this isn't like, Oh no, like, no, don't make me, you know, build this 20, 50 page marketing PowerPoint deck. You can do it. In, in two pages, as I just described. And, and really, the idea here is you're creating a roadmap for your marketing operations. And so it's basically instead of trying to, you know, one off every type of marketing activity you're doing, you're following a defined and laid out plan that you can measure your, your effectiveness um, and ultimately your, your growth and revenue against. And I would argue that if you didn't do this in some to some extent as part of your development of your product, then um, you're probably going to end up failing. You have a higher probability to fail, right? Because it's it's all part of having developed that product. Would you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I would say in, in most cases, you know, when companies are are starting either their their feasibility efforts or you know they've they've written a business plan. Certainly, yeah, they've written some sort of marketing plan, and maybe it's like a couple paragraphs or a couple pages in a document. But what I find is is that type of marketing plan versus a marketing plan you're going to execute is are two different things. And so that's where I think whether you're you know you're a full fledged startup or small business, if you don't have some sort of plan documented on paper, not just in your head. Because there's a lot of VP of marketing that just say, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got my plan in my head. Mm -hmm. Not in your head, but on paper. Then you're, you're not going to be able to execute as well as, as, well as you'd like to. And, and ultimately, you're not going to be able to grow your business through marketing the, the way you want to either. Yeah. And I see this again and again with small business owners. There's no plan. Therefore, you reactively 
take tactical approaches, like you said, either, oh, we got to be on Facebook, so let's go do that. Oh, we need some Periscope videos, let's go do that. Or I need a fancier website. And so they're throwing stuff up to see what sticks because there's no plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's segue uh, in related topic. And there was a quote I read in one of your one somewhere online. You say, quote, does your company have a positioning statement readily accessible and shared with all internal stakeholders? End mm. quote. So this idea of a shared positioning statement, tell me why that's so important. Well, similar to the marketing plan, it, having a it's really not just a positioning statement, but it's what I call a positioning messaging framework. And this is really kind of your, your marketing Bible in terms of defining your value proposition, how you're positioned in the market, and what are the key selling points of your product or service. And if you don't have a document that really captures that, what ultimately ends up happening is anytime you create any type of marketing material, I don't care if it's a website, if it's a sell sheet, a sales PowerPoint, odds are that you're probably going to try and reinvent the wheel every time you do any of those, those type of marketing materials. And what I mean is instead of having content and messaging and positioning that's consistent and on point throughout, each time you create a new marketing piece, you're probably going to mix it up or your variance in terms of your content, your copy, you know, how you're framing the conversation with your customers. So that's where if you have one document that that really kind of defines your positioning and your messaging, your value proposition, have one document all in one place, man, that, that can save marketers so much pain and heartache. Yeah, tremendous advice. And it comes into play as you're alluding to also in your ability to delegate and your ability to outsource, to, to freelance some of the work because you can give that person that document and now they've got the blueprint, the outline, the guidelines, the, the key yep. words, the key messaging to off of which to either write copy yep. or an article or whatever it might be. It's such a beautiful thing because I don't care whether um, I'm working with a copywriter or graphic designer, maybe someone in PR, all I have to do is hand them that positioning and messaging framework and I say, hey, start here, see what you can do with this. Oh my goodness. How, how much time and energy and money does that save me in terms of not having to, you know, individually work on all those different pieces? But like you said, I can, I can farm that out to, to other people and they can do it. And, and I know that what I'm going to get back is a piece of content, a piece of marketing that really is going to reflect the true positioning and messaging of my business. All right, I want to segue to a, a completely different question now, which is about you personally and, and in your business and how you're building it. You have the type of business where you have to get new clients. So tell us a little bit about what's been working. How do you go about or what's been working to uh, land new clients in your business? Yeah, this, you know, it's such a great question. It's actually pretty timely because I, I just kind of did some analysis in terms of my, my existing client attribution in terms of, you know, how did I land these clients? Right. And, you know, it's funny, I think so often in, in marketing and sales, we do, we do all this, you know, what I, what I call kind of push business development and marketing efforts. So we, you know, we, we send emails and, and cold call and cold email and all this. And we do it because it's, it's a lot of busy activity. And it's like, we can point to and say, Hey, I did that. I did that. But what was interesting in an analysis in terms of the clients that I gained 
almost 80% of them were through referrals. So that could be, you know, a friend referring me. It could be, you know, I, I serve on a couple of boards. So in one case, I had a fellow board member refer me. Uh, it, it could be connections that I, I made just through kind of my own networking efforts. But that was, for me, that was, that was pretty shocking in terms of, oh my gosh, here I've spent all this time and energy in terms of, you know, cold emailing and, and kind of going after these, these, you know, these lists that I have. But 80% of my revenue came from referrals. Um, and so for me, it was really an affirmation of continuing to, to connect with people that are within my target market. You know, whether that's, uh, it could be um, small business and startup advisors, it could be investors, it could be companies that other service firms that, you know, provide complimentary services that I do. And so for me, that's, that's really kind of been, I'd say, a key focus in terms of my marketing and business development efforts is really building those relationships in hopes of, of landing referral clients. And I think the, the, the other thing that I would add to that is the idea of, of volunteering your time. And really, it kind of goes back to the idea of doing good to do well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, volunteering and, and hoping, not, not right away, but, you know, volunteering and, and, you know, hoping that maybe, you know, it leads to something down the line. Right. And if it doesn't, at the end of the day, at least you can say, hey, I, you know, I helped someone out and it made a difference in their business. And so part of that for me has, has looked like, um, you know, mentoring at uh, different accelerators. So there's a couple accelerators here in the Boulder area that um, I've served as a mentor for and, and kind of had helped, you know, advise and, and guide early stage startups. And, and that's been helpful in terms of me just being a part of these communities as well as, as, well as kind of gaining trust within the, the startup companies. So those are those are I think the, the the two main things that I would attribute to my success is is really uh, you know putting a focus on making connections in hopes of of gaining referral clients and leads and then also you know giving some of your time and and maybe not necessarily expecting anything in return but knowing that that really has a value and a benefit for your your overall business credibility and success. Yeah, great advice and great tips there. When when you ask for a referral from an existing client, how do you go about doing that typically? Yeah, that that piece is, has been tricky, and, and to be perfectly honest, I haven't had a lot of success with that. And and not because you know my existing clients haven't been happy with me. Actually, quite the opposite. They've been, you know, extremely satisfied. But I think it's just, you know, figuring out the right time yeah. to 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 ask for that referral. But also recognizing, you know, particularly working with startups and small businesses, their plates are so overloaded that referring you to another company is, is probably the last thing, if not the last thing on their list. And so, you know, I've certainly tried it and I, I usually try to do it, you know, in the middle of, of an engagement, uh, you know, while I'm still, you know, actively working and communicating with a client. Um, and in some cases, I have gotten a couple new leads out of it. Unfortunately, today, no, no new clients to speak of. But I, you know, I think it's it's really about finding you know the right time to do it, and also making it as easy as possible for someone to for a client to refer you, whether that's providing them with kind of a pre-written script or you know any sort of instructions or guidance you can provide to basically they don't have to think about it, they don't have to devote a lot of mental energy to it. 
but really it's just super easy and almost a push of a button. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do. And thanks, thanks for sharing on, on that. Um, so related to that, and, and the, re- thing, the other thing that's hard with referrals is, of course, when you're getting started, there is no one to, there's no network there yet. There's no existing customers, so it's hard. But so related to that, the question I have for you is, what were some of those early challenges that you faced in building your business? Yeah. So, I mean, one is is trying to build a business from scratch, right? I mean, what do you do if you don't have a existing portfolio, existing you know, uh, references, right, testing. Everybody wants that, right? They, they want to know what you've done before. And and then, yeah, everybody so. wants it. And so to address that piece, I actually started doing pro bono work and, and I, I had the time. And so, you know, I really tried to identify some, you know, some organizations that were within my target market and just said, Hey, can I, can I do a marketing plan for you for free? Can I help you with your positioning and messaging? Can I, can I help you on you know different tactical execution fronts? And um, through that, I was able to build, I mean, I think a portfolio of maybe three or four pro bono clients. And the great thing about it is they were they were clients, right? I mean, I wasn't earning revenue from them, but they were clients and I could right. use them for case studies, for references, for testimonials. And that's that kind of led to me, you know, landing my first paying client. The other, the other challenge that I, I really had to overcome was I'm, I'm someone who I'm very detailed oriented. I'm very, I would say by the book, I try to be very professional. And so when I was first putting together proposals for clients, you know, I would put together these super technical, but very in-depth, very thorough proposals um, that were actually written by a lawyer because I felt like that's what I had to do, right? To be yeah. official, to be professional. And it, I had this client that I like. I, I really felt like I, I you know, was going to be able to win over, but I totally lost them at the proposal phase because they were just. I think they were scared away by the proposal, and so it was at that moment where I realized, you know what, I, I gotta make it easy for my clients to do business with me. And so from there, I totally pared down the proposal. Um, you know, I made it, I wrote it in, you know, plain, common, everyday English, no legalese. Uh, I, I made the deliverables, the timing, the pricing, all very clear, very transparent. And I mean, I tell you what, after I made that change, I I think I closed six or seven proposals in a row with, with I mean, no one, no one even objected or ask for a revision of the proposal. And so it's all about making it, making it easy for your customers to do business with you. Yeah, that's such a great, great takeaways there, Chris, and tremendous insights. The, the pro bono work approach is fantastic. And then you're absolutely right. You eliminated that friction that we, t- we tend to create. Sometimes it's because we think we have to cover ourselves legally. And the truth is, listen, get advice from an attorney, certainly have legal documents, but at the end of the day, if it's going to get ugly, it's going to get ugly. But what you were finding is you put something in front of people that now now you created another gate and, and people were stumbling on that and yep. you didn't close the business. Yep. So tremendous insight. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Chris, what, what do you think has been some of the keys to your success in business as well as in life? What, what would you say are some of those key things? Yeah, I, you know, I really like that question. And I'm, I'm like really... I really um, appreciate you asking it because I, I think it's something that all of us entrepreneurs and small business owners, we really need to think about what is it that it's allowed us to be successful? Because 
at some point or another, we're all going to hit stumbling blocks. We're, we're all going to have low months, low quarters, maybe even low years. And so I think it's remembering those things that have enabled us to achieve success and be successful. And so when I, you know, I really thought about this question, you know, I think first and foremost is a focus on execution. And you hear the, there's this term in the startup community, small business community, growth hacking. It's, you know, it's really buzzworthy right now. And people, I think when they hear this word, um, and for, for you know, your audience who doesn't know what it means, basically it's the idea of, of really trying to, to grow your business quickly through a minimum amount of work or investment. And I think when people hear the idea of growth hacking, they think, oh, I can take shortcuts. And, and I'll even admit, I even fell prey to that, that notion. And at the end of the day, I, I guess I keep coming back to there's no substitute for, for working hard and persevering in your business and what you do. And obviously you want to work smart and you don't want your, your time and your energy to be wasted, but you, you, you just can't, you can't replace hard work. So I think for me, it's, it's really realizing that, you know, as alluring as they might be there, there's just not shortcuts. There's not. I listened to a podcast with Seth Godin, who's a big marketing thought leader, and he, he talks about he's a, how he's a big believer in long cuts, not shortcuts, but long cuts, because long cuts are, are really kind of making those, those moves, those decisions that maybe are going to require a little bit more investment, a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, but ultimately will lead to greater business sustainability. And I think that's just such a great idea. So I mean I think I think it's it's really kind of the the belief in in, in hard work and in execution and then I think you know personally the the two beliefs that I really try to follow is that you know if I if I'm truly committed to what I'm doing then I can achieve anything if you're truly committed you can achieve anything and then I think the the second idea that I you know I really try to hang my hat on is realizing that I'm I'm bigger than all of my problems. And, you know, this is something that's really helped me, particularly uh, whenever I have, you know, whether it be a, a down week, a down day, or a down month, that my life will move forward beyond this, this moment, beyond this challenge, beyond this problem. And when you have kind of that larger picture perspective, it allows you to just not get so stressed out, not so anxious, not so worried about a particular situation or a particular problem. Well said. Do you think that that perspective, that bigger picture perspective and that confidence, I think, that comes with that feeling like you can do it if you stick to it, was that always there for you personality wise or did you develop that over time? I mean, I, I think I think above anything else, I, I've always felt like that I can I can persevere through just about anything. You know, personally, I've I've certainly dealt with kind of my own share of hardship um, going back to when I was a kid. And so, yeah, I, I think that's always been there. And, you know, I think the cool thing about perseverance is, you know, that's not really a concept or an idea that you see on the cover of Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur Magazine. But if you look at, if you really look at the data in terms of the attributes of successful entrepreneurs and small business owners, perseverance is one of the top characteristics. And so, I guess for me, I feel fortunate and I feel blessed to really have that that attribute and it, it being kind of core to, to, to who I am. 
Yeah, well said. I, I think those the challenges of those things, perseverance, the shortcuts versus the long cuts, those longer time things don't sell as well, right? People are always looking for the shortcut. They always want to read about the guy who got rich quick or the success story. And when you dig another layer deeper or two, you realize that those people, it was through perseverance that they finally got that home run. Yeah. Uh, but you also, it strikes me from how you describe these things that you, you have a lot of discipline about executing, that you stick to something once you get started. Is that also something you think was in your character or is it something that became stronger in getting through school, for example? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I guess I've always had the motto, you know, you finish what you start. And, you know, whether that's been a sport, you know, going back to youth sports, a class or a project or whatever, you know, I, I've always finished what I start and, you know, I do it to the highest of my ability. And I, I think the other thing is I know, like, I know the value of sticking through on things. I know that there's going to be ups and downs, but if you see something through, odds are that you're going to have a higher chance of success instead of just jumping from one thing to the next to the next, you know, over, over time. And so that's where, you know, I think it's so tempting as an entrepreneur, particularly when, you know, you're faced with, with difficulties to, you know, jump from this, from that, to do this, to that. But if I can just encourage people, you know, if you, if you feel like, you know, you've got a compelling reason to do something and what you do really solves a true problem in the market and in the world, stick to that, stick to that, see it through. And, you know, it, it, it might take three months, six months, maybe a year or even a little bit more. But, you know, if you really, if you really believe in what you're doing and you really are, are, are trying to solve a problem, I, I think good things will happen. Great. Love that. Fantastic. All right, so tell me uh, summary-wise what uh, for Market Compass, how people engage with you, how you offer your services. Just summarize that for us, if you would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, typically what I try to do is, you know, I love just sitting down with, with people and just getting to understand, you know, their business. Um, and also, what are they doing from a marketing standpoint and what are their challenges? So usually I'll, I'll sit down with people from, you know, anywhere from half an hour to 90 minutes and we'll just, we'll just kind of talk shop and, and it gives me a chance to, to get to know them better and vice versa. And then, you know, if people are, are interested in, work, in working with me, typically what I'll do is, is kind of a marketing assessment where I'll kind of go into the details of their marketing operations and, and really trying to figure out um, what their goals are, uh, what's working well, what's not working well, you know, what what are the, the top things that they are struggling with? What what are they really wanting to get out of their marketing? And then after doing that, I'll usually put together a proposal with kind of my recommended solutions in terms of how my company can, can help them. Fantastic. All right, and we talked about the e-myth. Obviously, we both agree that's a, a must read. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, yeah, so I have just a couple resources. Uh, one is, you know, I really enjoy the the Tim Ferriss podcast. I, I think it's it's a, a great one to listen to. In terms of other books, Indispensable by uh, by Seth Godin. He's uh, just a fantastic marketer and author. And then I never thought I'd, I'd be saying this, but I've really enjoyed pretty much all of 
Tony Robbins books. It, he's, uh, you know, just a, a great source of content for people who, you know, maybe are struggling with the, the, the psychology of becoming an entrepreneur or small business owner. And so those are, those are the, I guess, the, the resources and the pieces of content that I'd recommend. Great. Thanks for those suggestions. And we'll have links to all of those on the show notes page for this episode. And you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap this up here now. Chris, uh, last parting piece of advice or thought for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. For any startup or small business out there, remember that, that marketing isn't just about creating some flashy commercial or sharp-looking advertisement in a, in a print magazine. It's about giving your customers a compelling reason to buy your product. And... If you, if you can't do that, then it's going to be really hard to grow your business. Wonderful. And where can our listeners go to find out more about you and about Market Compass? Yeah, so they can uh, go to my website at www.themarketcompass.com. And then you can also follow us on Facebook. Uh, so just by searching Market Compass. And then also you can follow us on Twitter at Market Compass. Fantastic. And we'll have links to those sites as well on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. Chris, it's been uh, terribly interesting. Fantastic to have you on our show today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Henry. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by levantebusinessgroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.